Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these podcasts are for medical education purposes only, not to diagnose that weird thing on your eye. We figured that reviewing for OCAPS boards in the clinic is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, review a high-yield topic, talk about the why and the how. This week, we're talking about degenerative retinoschisis. Also called senile retinoschisis, if you want to be a jerk, or acquired retinoschisis. Um... Okay, those are the those are the, those are the names of this type of retinoschisis. We name it such because we want to differentiate it from X-linked or juvenile retinoschisis, which is a rare inherited disease that is, you know, in some ways I suppose similar to retinoschisis in that they both involve schisis of the retino, but um, <laughs> that will be reserved for a later episode. So easy epidemiology. These degenerative kinds of retinoschisis are commonly found just on normal routine checks about four percent of the population just randomly has it yeah and you know i think that that's part of why we're reviewing this um again we're trying to do episodes now that are more relevant early in the year you know it's not an uncommon consult where a patient may be sent into the ed because they've been found to have what is thought to be a retinal detachment when it is really what we're about to talk about retinoschisis and it's important when on call to be able to differentiate between the two I actually remember very early in the year when I had just started seeing patients like, you know, on my own, we had finished our true buddy call in our program that I saw a patient with retinoschisis and Andrew Powell, the man himself had come around, ha- happened to be around and helped me differentiate it on the fly using what we're about to talk about here that he definitely remembers. <laughs> oh, great. Andrew. Okay. So something I'm finding is that I'm pretty sure 90% of what Ben's found in residency came in that first month of it. It was residency. a very busy month. <laughs> it was very busy. First, let's talk about what it is. It is a splitting of the retina within its layers. So a retinal attachment is where the retina separates from the underlying RPE. So the whole retina separates. And retinoschisis, it's actually splitting within the retina. So it's a completely different process, but you can imagine how it may look pretty similar. So it's also most commonly associated with cystoid degeneration when that itself is very common. You know, cystoid degeneration looks like these little, these little, um, they're kind of shiny little dots that can be in the aura. They're pretty common. And uh, typically patients with degenerative retinoschisis have it. You know, you can maybe even think of cystoid degeneration as early retinoschisis that hasn't really coalesced into a large bulla. There are two types of retinoschisis. One is typical. And that is a causes a split in the outer nuclear layer. And in the reticular form, as opposed to typical, then the split is in the nerve fiber layer. And just to clarify again, these two forms, typical retinoschisis and reticular retinoschisis, they're both forms of degenerative retinoschisis. Again, not X-linked retinoschisis, which is its own completely different category. And an X-linked or juvenile retinoschisis, the separation is in a nerve fiber layer, so it can be easy to get that confused with reticular. But again, we'll cover that more in a later episode. To help remember the difference between where typical and reticular nerve fiber layer splitting happens, you can remember my favorite mnemonic, TORN, T-O-R-N. So typical T has outer nuclear layer splitting, so T-O. In reticular, R has nerve fiber layer splitting, so RN. So if you remember TO, typical outer, and reticular nuclear, RN, you'll remember which is which. Except it's not actually a retinal tear, so don't let torn confuse you as a yeah. mnemonic. <laughs> yeah, don't. 
What quadrant? Uh, <laughs> Andrew, just to help the uh, help those who haven't seen it before, what quadrant is Renoskesis usually found in? Infrotemporal for five hundred, Alex. And why, Benjamin? Right, I don't know either. I don't know if anyone knows nah. why it's infrotemporal. I, if you know, please let us know. I'd love to know. How dare you? Yeah, I know. I, I think my senior has <laughs> uh, the privileges of being cheap. Okay, so <clears> to <throat> the, the key, the thing to really remember from this episode is how to diagnose retinoschisis. So the key thing to differentiate retinoschisis from is retinal detachment. There's a couple factors, like historical slash clinical factors that help you differentiate. One, retinal detachments tend to be symptomatic, whereas retinoschisis tends to be asymptomatic. We'll talk about why in a little bit. People with retinoschisis tend to be hyperopic, whereas people with detachments tend to be myopic because, you know, the retina is on stretch. But those, you know, those are... Those are definitely not definitive. Hyperopes can get retinal attachments and myopes can get, you know, retinoschisis. If I were you, I'd memorize five different ways to help differentiate retinoschisis from retinal detachment. The key to remembering these five, because I hope you don't have to memorize them, I hope they just make sense, is to remember that in retinal detachment, the retina is detaching from the retinal pigment epithelium. That doesn't mean the retina won't work. It just means it's not getting as much nutrition as it's supposed to. Whereas in retinoschisis, you're actually cleaving important layers like outer nuclear layers that make the retina function. As such, that leads to our first differentiating factor. Retinoschisis will have an absolute scotoma, as in they just cannot see in the area of retinoschisis, compared to retinal attachments will just have a relative scotoma. Where they have the detachment, it may seem like looking through a fishbowl or it may seem like a shade coming over their vision, but at least they can still see something typically at least hand motion in that area. Versus just not noticing at all, usually because it's an absolute scotoma and they just wouldn't notice. One thing you can try is you take a 20 diopter exam, you go directly over the area that you think is skittic, or a detachment, and you can take a Q-tip or even your finger and pass it over where your light beam is and try to pass it over where the that schesis or detachment is. If they can perceive what is effectively hand motion over that area, then it's relative. If they, can't, if they don't see any change in the light, then it's probably absolute. So two things on exam also that can also help differentiate it from an RD. The retinoschisis would itself be smooth. It would look kind of, you know, just like a bullish smooth thing. But a retinal detachment is usually corrugated in appearance. Don't let that strip you up because uh, if it's smooth, it might even be a choroidal detachment, not just a retinoschisis. But at least, you know, if it's corrugated, you know it's really not retinoschisis. And when you are, uh, when you're doing scleral depression, the depressor, pressing right over the area of suspicious retinoschisis. If it's a retinoschisis, it would not resolve. If it's a retinal detachment, then you'd basically be reopposing that like RPE and everything underneath it up towards the retina, which would then make that bullous thing seem to go away. But in retinoschisis, you're pushing it and the schism again is still in the retina itself. So the entire thing moves. And so the bullous appearance persists. Right. And, and, you know, the reason is just because there's a hole in a retinal attachment for the fluid to be pushed out when you do scleral depression. Remember, this is fundamentally what a scleral buckle does. That's the whole point um, of, of a scleral buckle, essentially to give you permanent scleral depression over an area of a retinal attachment because that pushes fluid out of the retinal attachment and it lets a sclera, a choroid, and RP opposed to the retina. That wouldn't do anything in the retinoschisis because there's no area for the fluid to be pushed out. The next thing is laser uptake. 
the result you'd get from laser is actually kind of counterintuitive. If you laser skesis, you'll see the spots like in the actual area of skesis. You'll see a laser uptake. You'll, you'll see the retina whiten. If you laser within a retinal attachment, you won't. Why? It's because you have to remember what is actually absorbing the laser energy. The answer is the RP. It's whatever is pigmented will absorb laser energy. So it, the RP is absorbing energy. If there's fluid directly over the RP that's receiving the ener laser energy, that will disperse the energy very quickly. You know, water or fluid is a great heat sink. You know, that's why if you put water on something hot, it will cool down very quickly. It's the specific heat of water is very high. That's opposed to retinoschesis, where actual retina is still attached to the RPE. Remember, it's just splitting within the retina. So when you laser RPE, that retina that's attached will whiten and you'll see laser uptake. So if you laser, counterintuitively, retinoschesis will whiten and real detachment will not. That is also a tip if you're doing a laser for like a retinal tear. If you're laser, lasering, lasering, and it's not picking up the laser, it's either because your laser setting isn't high enough or because you're lasering, lasering where there's fluid that you didn't really see, subretinal fluid over the area that you're trying to laser. Okay. And yes. then well, there's one more way we can tell the difference. If you can angle it, preferably enough, OCT can doesn't always have to go through the macula. It can actually go through the area of schesis too. In which case you'd have a beautiful demonstration of where the actual anatomy, where the actual split in the anatomy is. But it's usually pretty tough to get your OCT to capture right at that periphery right there. If your imaging technicians are amazing, then you can rely on this a little more, but not usually in the emergency room. And the comment about OCT is also to point out that B-scan really doesn't help tell the difference between schesis and detachment. It doesn't have high enough resolution to see whether or not there's a splitting within the retina or a splitting or whether the whole retina is detached. It just doesn't have high enough resolution. So you cannot count on B-scan unless it picks up the tear. You should be able to see the tear when you're looking. Two other smaller things on exam that can help you differentiate. One is that you really shouldn't see vitreous hemorrhage in retinoschesis. There's no reason to have vitreous hemorrhage, but if you see it, or you even just see some blood in the retina, then that should really push you towards assuming it's some kind of retinal detachment uh, due to a tear. The other is that classically, you can see what looks like little white snowflakes within a retinoschesis bubble. It's thought that those are the remnants of the Mueller foot plates, which if you remember all the way back from our first episode, the Mueller cells span the entirety from the ILM to the XLM. So in retinoschesis, that uh, Mueller cell will at some point be cleaved, and you can classically see these little white snowflakes, which are thought to be the remnants of that foot plate in the retinoschesis bubble. Okay, so that's the important stuff to remember about retinoschesis, like the practical stuff. The, if, you know, for testing purposes, you may need to try to differentiate between typical and reticular retinoschesis. There's three different factors between them. Typical retinoschesis is usually pretty low-lying. It's anterior to the equator, so it's really peripheral. And it tends to not be holes within the schesis. And we'll talk about holes within schesis in a little bit. Whereas reticular tends to be bullous, posterior, and it can have holes within it. Uh, my mnemonic for this is that typical follows the law. So that's L, low-lying, A, anterior, and W, hole, as in not torn. And reticular is the opposite of that. So um, so remember, if, if, if you want for testing purposes, typical follows the law, whereas reticular is the opposite. So it's bullous, posterior, and it can have holes. Let's talk about management. So what do you do about schesis? 
So you do want to worry about a retinoschisis if it can precipitate to a retinal detachment. The only way it could do that is if there are holes on both sides of the schisis cavity. So the schisis cavity then, again, is created by wherever that split in the retina within those layers are. If there's a hole in just one of the layers, which is usually the outer layer, then no big deal. If there's a hole in the inner layer, also no big deal, so long as they're not both present. But if there are, then you have a way for fluid to communicate freely between the inside of the vitreous cavity and the sub-retinal space, which could lift it right off the RPE and essentially amount to a retinal detachment then. But luckily, that's really rare. So it's something that, you know, usually what we see people do is if they have a patient with retinoschisis, they monitor them, but the odds of them having an actual full-on regmentogenous retinal detachment are low. There is an entity called a schesis detachment, which is unusual. This is where you only have an outer hole. So, you know, the part closer to the RP has a hole. Then the idea is that the fluid within that schesis, you know, within your retinoschisis bubble, goes through that hole and gets under the retina and then causes what really is is retinal attachment. However, this doesn't behave like other retinal attachments, likely because one, the fluid in the schesis bubble is pretty viscous, and two, the fluid in that bubble is limited. It's not like constantly generating more fluid. There's not a whole source of more fluid to get through the dam. So schesis attachments rarely ever progress or go more and more posterior or go towards the macula. So most people will also follow these and eventually you'll see a ring of pigment surround these so-called schesis detachments that will you know, effectively wall them off and not allow them to progress further. You should still watch it closely because if it does progress, you should do something about it. But until it does, don't worry about it. Why are you worried about it? Don't worry about it. <laughs> and that's it that's all ah, right we did it that's the gender retinoschisis so to review this is a common problem and the key thing to remember is to differentiate from regmatogenous retinal attachment some of the key ways to do that are retinoschisis will have an absolute scotoma compared to a relative scotoma in retinal attachment a retinoschisis will be smooth unlike the corrugated retinal attachment retinoschisis will uptake laser unlike the fluid from a retinal attachment Retinoschisis will move with scleral depression compared to retinal attachment where the fluid will be pushed out and the scleral will be opposed to the retina. And lastly, OCT can help differentiate the two. That's all we got this week. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with a number four. And all the other stuff. Eyes for ears, everything. Just yeah. put every put it in every Instagram, social media. Thing you our got. website, put it on the Google thing, and you'll get us. If you'd like to support the podcast, <laughs> um, if you'd like to support the podcast, then it really helps us to rate and review us on iTunes. That's all we have for this week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>